Good day. This is Sabrina Marie with the Building Abundant Success Series. Our series usually is a primetime mastermind, but we're having a daytime mastermind special edition. And we promote inspired focus, decisive action, and inspired outcome. Our theme spotlight for the month and year of 2010, entrepreneurship, economic empowerment, networking, wealth building in the 21st century. I wanted to bring to you uh, the area of communication and how important it's been to the black community. My guest is Kathy Hughes today. She is a founder and chairperson of Radio One, the largest African-American-owned and operated broadcasting company in the nation. She was born in Omaha, Nebraska, moved to Washington, D.C. in the early 70s and became a lecturer in the newly established School of Communications at Howard University. She entered radio in the mid-70s as a general manager at WHUR, Howard University Radio, increasing station revenues from 250000 to $3 million in her first year. She also became the first female vice president and general manager of a station in the nation's capital and created the format we know now as the Quiet Storm, the most listened to nighttime radio format heard in over 50 markets nationally. Purchasing her first station in 1980, WOLAM DC, Kathy Hughes pioneered yet another innovative format, the 24-hour talk from a black perspective with the theme Information is Power. WOL is the most listened to talk radio station in the nation's capital. She's made history, becoming the first African-American woman with a company on the stock exchange. Radio One's value is currently uh, valued uh, at $2 billion, or in excess of $2 billion, I should say, and her radio stations reach well over 20 million black listeners daily. I wanted to welcome Kathy Hughes. Thank you so much. I'm honored to be with you today. I'm honored to have you as a guest. AWL has made a major, major uh, impact in my life. Uh, growing up in the Washington metropolitan area, I've listened to it ever since I was a kid and listening to all the wonderful things you've brought to the black community, uh, actually focusing on the black community, getting the, the community involved. And uh, Washington Post described you best with, uh, as the voice of the black community. And with your stations reaching, oh gosh, all over the place now, I know you're having that great influence over over millions. I, I, I'm very honored to have you here today. Thank you. Um, wanted to start to talk to a woman, woman who's actually an entrepreneur who built this uh, market of talk radio in the black community and the beginnings of that, because I believe the format was mostly music when. Uh, well, I it, bought my first station, WOL. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, I believe. I, I watched uh, Talk to Me. <laughs> I got that for Christmas. Well, well, Talk to Me. Interestingly enough, the way they do movies is they test them before they release them. Uh-huh. And in every test, they came away with the 100 percent in the category. Uh, the question was, "Where is Kathy Hughes?" What most people didn't realize, I didn't even live in Washington D.C during the P.D. Green days. I didn't even know Dewey Hughes existed, let alone would someday become my husband. All of that occurred pre 
my move to Washington, D.C., but because everyone they tested the movie on associated W.O.L. with me, they stuck me in the back part of it to try to do a tie-in, which kind of surprised me, too, because I was like, I wasn't around then. Why do they have that picture of me up on the wall in the end? So Talk to Me is uh, 95% true um, depiction of what my former husband uh, did with his career and his life. But as I said, I had not even been introduced to Dewey Hughes at that time. Wow. I, I was in Omaha, Nebraska when the riots were occurring. We had riots in Omaha uh, wow. also. So talk to me, portrayal of me and my involvement was not accurate. It was just, what do they say, uh, they took uh, editorial liberty. Mm, I understand for marketing purposes, I believe. Yes, exactly, exactly. When you became a lecturer at the, uh, they claim, a newly established School of Communication. Howard University. I was part of the very first um, faculty at the Howard University School of Communications, which was such an incredible experience because Quincy Jones was a member of our faculty. Uh, Melvin Van Peoples was a member of that first faculty. Sam Yet, who wrote The Choice, was a member. Stan Latham, who, you know, does all of the Russell Simmons productions and, uh, just an incredible array of individuals I was blessed to be um, co-workers with. And you were a lecturer. How was the School of Communications uh, structured then? Because uh, it, it, I guess it was a new deal. Oh, it was a brand new deal. We were operating out of a trailer. Just about everything on our schedule said TBA, to be announced. Our books weren't in. It was a new venture. Dr. James Cheek, who, God bless his soul and rest his soul, just died over the last 48 Mm -hmm. hours. Dr. James Cheek wanted to build a school of communications, and he recruited Tony Brown, the creator and host of um, black journal at that time it was called tony brown's journal most people may not be aware of the fact that tony brown's journal is the longest continuous running television show in the history of the industry no one has been on television longer than tony brown with uh, black journal and so he recruited tony brown to be his first dean and tony brown recruited um, an array of individuals that he had had uh, interaction with or worked with throughout the country, and I was blessed to be one of those individuals that he chose to be part of that first faculty. Wow. And so we're talking, you know, mid-70s. Yes. In that curriculum, um, how big was that curriculum? You were creating it as you went along? Yes, absolutely. You're correct, 100% correct. Certainly a whole lot of it we had to because of accreditation, but in order to, you know, remain accredited, uh, so much of it, but yes, we created as we went along. In that uh, creation, you, well, you're working with the people that we're looking up to. I know I'm looking up to today, Tony Brown and others. Yeah. Um, Me what too. What was it like for a woman to do that at that particular time. I was in awe. Uh, I was coming out of Omaha, Nebraska, where we've seen very few black folks. The total population is 40,000 black folks in the entire state of Nebraska, although I have to admit we've had some very distinguished black people like Malcolm X is from Omaha, Nebraska. Uh, You know, uh, Excuse me, Gail Sayers, Johnny Rogers, Bob Gibson, we, um, Buddy Miles. We had had numerous uh, African Americans of note, uh, but there's still just a handful of us there. I come to Washington, D.C. to become part of the first faculty 
of Howard University, and I used to jokingly write home to my mother and say that my eyeballs were tired from staring. I just, I was like a kid in a candy store. I had never seen so many beautiful, well-educated, uh, well-dressed uh, African Americans of all uh, you know, um, uh, uh, arenas of life, professional, non-professional, doctors, lawyers, you know, garbage collectors, police officers, school teachers. In Omaha, we had one black doctor, one black lawyer, one black accountant who was oh, my wow. father, one black nurse, one black school principal, a handful of teachers. Um, but here... Everybody and everything. When I moved to Washington, D.C., Washington, D.C. was 78% African-American. So every place you can. And then Howard University, oh, my goodness, to be on the campus of Howard University was like dying and going to a black heaven. Tell me about it. I'm an alum. (laughs) All right, that quadrangle, I mean, oh. And those were the glorious days because... Back in those days, the sisters were wearing uh, galays, beautiful fabrics wrapped around their heads. They may have on their blue jeans and their Howard shirt, but they always had a galay. The brothers were wearing the dashikis. Everything was so beautiful and so African-centered. And so not only was I seeing black people in quantity and quality for the first time, but I was also seeing them in charge, large and in charge, and in their Africanness. And I can't tell you what an impact that had on my life. Uh, people often ask me in, you know, retrospect, you know, about the, you know, defining moments and great times. I think one of the defining moments was I've always been proud to be of African descent. I've always been a black nationalist. And when I arrived on the campus of Howard University as a member of that first faculty, it was as if I had died and arrived. I had gone to heaven because everything I believed in was there in practice. It wasn't theory. It wasn't, you know, learning or reading or hearing about black people being in charge. Black city council, black mayor, black faculty at Howard, black medical school, black new school of communications, the list was endless. Wow. 